This podcast of mine is presented by Inside Out Music. And this month's featured release is by Einar Solberg, 16. That's the name of the record, so if that's up your alley, buy it, download it, do what you're going to do. Either way, it's out. Hello, everybody. My name is Devin Townsend, and welcome to the Devin Townsend Podcast. If you don't know who I am, I am a 51-year-old male, bald, Canadian musician, and I've been doing this for many, many years. I've got in the vicinity of 30, 35 releases I've written books, I've done educational courses, I've toured for many years, and the type of music that I do has run the gamut between harps and flutes and uh, extreme death metal. And that's kind of my personality, too, to a certain degree. This podcast is brought to you by Inside Out Records. This is the record label that I've been with for the past two decades. And they've been very supportive, and they've allowed me to do all these strange types of music that I do. And they keep putting it out. Even when all signs would point to the fact that maybe this kind of disparate output that I've done between these polar extremes would be confusing to an audience. And it has been. During the pandemic, I recorded about 13 podcasts. And at that time, it was just something that I had done to try and help to the degree that I was able by describing and discussing the process in which my early releases had uh, involved. And they asked me to continue it, but with a visual. And if you've never, if you've never been seen, if you don't, if you're not used to um, being on video, having your face represent your work in a very tangible way like this, I bet you the majority of you would feel very strange about it. And I know I did. So... They asked me to do this video podcast almost a year ago. And I've been trying to work up, not the courage necessarily, but perhaps the gumption to actually go ahead and do this. And what was the hang-up? Well, I guess the hang-up existed fundamentally with me wanting to be of some degree of help two people during this period and that I guess the parameters of what that entailed was just kind of elusive to me on some on some level I I thought that maybe continuing to talk about the albums would would help but then it seemed like when I was investigating what other podcasts do 
there was really this this wide berth of of content that people were involved with. Either it was uh, controversial opinions or uh, product reviews or uh, just wanted to argue with people or wanted to interview people or having such steadfast opinions that it felt necessary for people to to have a platform to be able to trumpet that to the rest of the world. But none of those things seemed to make any sense to me. I didn't want to do any of that. But then I also didn't want to just keep talking about the records. It seems like that would be um, a waste of an opportunity, and it would be a very limited interest to anybody that was potentially going to watch this who has not been familiar with the work that I've done. So here we are in the first one. This is the first episode of Devin Townsend video podcast, podcast, podcast. I don't know what it is. So forgive me as I, as I flounder through and try to figure out a, a trajectory for this that's going to make sense to continue. The idea is that it happens once a month. And content-wise, the more I sort of sat with myself and, and thought, okay, well, what is it that you want to say? How, how do you want to go about this? You've got a record company that's willing to support this and that'll allow you to continue doing your work. And then I started thinking about it this morning, and I recognize that my life is surrounded by artists. I've got a lot of people in my life that, that create. And there's also a lot of people in my life that would like to create, but maybe don't know how. I get asked a lot when I do clinics. I'll do a touring clinic or an acoustic clinic or an acoustic tour, and we'll have a question and answer period at the end. And a lot of times one of the reoccurring questions is, how do I get started in this? And so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this podcast as a counterpart to the creation of my next work. As I said earlier, I've got 30-some-odd albums just endless amounts but the process of creating that has been essentially the same since the very beginning and by that I mean and contradictory in a contradict contradictorily in a contradictory sense huh? yeah. although the material has been so diverse you know, back in 1995, I released my first album. Prior to working with uh, the guitar player Steve Vai, I sang on his album, Sex and Religion. But then I started releasing my own material. First one was by a band called Strapping Young Lad. Heavy is a Really Heavy Thing was the name of the first one. And then a sort of parody record called Punky Brewster that was a kind of piss take on the whole pop punk thing that was happening at that point and how everybody was sort of changing identities musically just so they could fit into whatever whatever was happening publicly that was commercially successful and then I started doing 
very dynamic material simultaneously. I would do a heavy record like City by Strapping Young Lad. And then concurrently, I would put out an album like Ocean Machine that was more chilled in some way. And that just kept going. And even to this day, during the pandemic, I did The Puzzle, which was a chaotic mess, and Snuggles, which was essentially a a new age kind of relaxation record. 1998, I believe. There There was Infinity, followed by Physicist. There was Synchestra and Alien that were done at the same time, very opposite. Deconstruction and Ghost, all these things. So although the aesthetic of the work has changed, the intent has always been the same. And so the best way for me to long-windedly give an answer to how does one start to become a professional creative I would say you have to identify your intent. And that's a lot easier said than done. Because when you think about that as a, as a phrase, it's easy to flippantly say things like, okay, my intent is to become famous. My intent is to make a lot of money. My intent is to attract women, men, whatever your, whatever your preference is. But I think that that's a very surface uh, goal and none of those things will sustain uh, a career on a on an intrinsic level in my opinion I think you if you get famous or if you make a lot of money or if you get a lot of you know sex it could end up being in the interim something that seems fantastic but long term to sustain that, I don't think that that intent holds enough creative fuel. So, what was my intent? Well, fortunately, it snuck up on me. Because it has been there since the beginning. But I wasn't emotionally mature enough from, um, from the get-go to be able to identify how it kept peering through my my work. When I did the first Strapping on Lad record, it was fueled essentially on, on anger or spite. And then when I did Ocean Machine, it was fueled by uh, sadness. It was fueled by a new participation with the idea of, of people whom I cared about dying and then City was fueled by spite on some level and then every record that came after that at the time I had assumed that I was just writing about you know a random topic it was almost like it was an arbitrary an arbitrary theme but in hindsight I see that Every record has essentially been a document or an essay in a weird way about where I was at at that certain point in my life. And I would suggest that that most artists have that as at least a subconscious 
intent in the work? And why? Since I was very young, I was attracted to music and art because it was able to express for me things that as a person I was unable to express in whichever way. I'm sure you know the feeling if you hear a song or if you see a painting or if you watch a film that really scratches an itch. Say you you heard a song when you were in your teens and you were struck by how accurately that summarized how you feel. And so to to pursue music in the ways that I did, it was really about trying to identify how I was feeling. And everybody's different, but for me, I think a lot of that was because I wasn't able to understand how I felt emotionally. I couldn't get a good grasp on where I was. Perhaps it had something to do with, you know, being from Canada. Maybe there's the British influence. I work with a lot of people from the UK still, the band, and a lot of folks, and there's this sort of stiff upper lip sense of emotional, um, uh, maybe repression, that as a, as a kid, I remember thinking, okay, well, you don't express things overtly. You don't express yourself emotionally. If you are hurt, you, you sort of, you push it down. If you're angry, it's like anger is an uncouth emotion. Um, if you're sad, big boys don't cry. All these kinds of tropes. I think you internalize it. No, I did. And then when I found that music was a very socially acceptable loophole in a way to be able to get those things out of my system, I realized that I was much more sensitive to my surroundings than perhaps I was aware of in the beginning. Excuse me. So then music became, without me even recognizing it in the beginning, a way for me to just get it out of my system. If I was as emotional as I, as I recognized in hindsight that I was, to have an avenue that I can actualize those feelings and then be able to stand back from it objectively and say, yeah, that is how I was feeling. And then once it's done, it's almost like by completing a song, by completing an album, I was able to then have perspective on where I was. And so the intent long-term is personal development. Now this leads me to maybe trying to give a more practical solution to people who are trying to learn how to become a professional musician. And recently, when we were on tour, I just came back from a tour called Dream Sonic, where it was Dream Theater, myself, Animals as Leaders. And we did an interview 
with a YouTube um, personality named Rick Beato. And on that interview, I was actually a little shocked to recognize that the way that I perceived music seemed so foreign to other people. I was told many years back that the way that I perceive music is through something called synesthesia. And I was always hesitant to accept that because it just seemed like an overly complicated way to describe something that just was. But during the course of that interview, and you can find it online, myself, John Petrucci, and uh, Tosin Abasi, I was talking about synesthesia. And since that time, I've been asked a lot about it. From the point of view of, of it being perhaps a, an abnormality or a proclivity that I had that was um, rare. And frankly, I, I feel like I can almost contest that. And the reason for that is because I think it's just the explanation of what synesthesia is makes it seem very um, abstract. And let me explain. What synesthesia, to my understanding, describes is a kind of cross-collateralization cross of emotional information. So, for example, you might hear people that say, um, this sound is sounds like red to me. This, this color has a very triangular feel to me. This food uh, is pointy. These are some of the ways that, that synesthesia, prior to me investigating what it meant in my own creative process, was described to me as. And that was always an abstract way to describe it, that although I related to, I can certainly see how it would make people feel like, yeah, that doesn't exist for me. I can't, I can't understand that. But let me try and decode it another way and see if this resonates with any of you. Because if it does, I think it could potentially be a step to incorporate in your own understanding of your creative world and by nature of it, potentially find ways to discover your intent creatively through this. I did an interview yesterday where I started talking about it again and I provided myself some insight onto how I feel about it and I'll share that. Say we look at synesthesia less as an abstract con concept and more as a practical reflection of how something made you feel and during the time in which you felt that there was something there that when you see, hear, touch, smell or feel that it reminds you of that emotion okay, say say you were in a 
state of distress. Maybe you were afraid of something, or you were stressed about not getting a job, or maybe somebody didn't come home when you thought they were going to come home, and you were upset, and your mind was, like, going crazy. As a human being, I think there's probably only a handful of of emotions in a broad sense it can becomes more nuanced as you go into each of them but really fear joy happiness is that it <laughs> fear joy happiness anger you're horny uh, my point is it's like it's we're pretty simple creatures in that sense and so you were one of those fearful and during that time there was a sound that was playing if you're a musical mind or there was a color in the room that all this was happening and you're a visually oriented person the way that i would describe how to practically apply this kind of cross collateralization of emotional information synesthesia to your work is that you simply say okay because i was present with that stimulus during that emotional time that stimulus now reminds me of that emotion when i was younger and still to this day i was just so such a fan of the rain i love the idea of of it being miserable and rainy it's just that's part of my trip i like it when the mountains are misty it's it's just a preference and when i was young my mother used to play piano and she would play these really minor key classical piano pieces but she always had the sustain pedal on and in the 70s and 80s when i grew up in uh western canada there was a lot of rain arguably a lot more than there is now and as a young child i would remember the sound of the sustained minor key notes in reference to a stormy day so then when i would hear minor key reverbed type notes it would immediately bring me back to that experience and so fast forward to being a musician now if i think what this song requires is that sense of melancholy maybe that's just the mood that i'm in when i'm writing i pick up the guitar and i write and i'm in a melancholy mood if i want to identify a very specific emotional feeling i would then typically draw from those sorts of experiences so maybe i would use reverb maybe i use reverb on everything <laughs> spoiler alert but then those selections of notes that were so poignant to me as a kid i intrinsically just sort of understand to be representative of a certain frame of mind and so that's what i use and then let's take it from another uh another vantage point i remember when i was a kid i would we would go to a place uh 
in the interior of British Columbia called Cultus Lake. And I would go down the water slides. That was the thing. You go to the Cultus Lake water slides. I think it still exists. And when I was a kid going there, maybe 1980, 81, I forget the year the song came out, but there was a song by the Kinks called Come Dancing. Come Dancing. That seems like it has a different connotation depending on the instrumentation. But I think what they were intending was Come Dancing. But it had a keyboard sound that was very similar to a um, uh, steel drum. And da 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 and that particular tonality and that particular timbre now reminds me of the summer and water slides. So what I'm trying to say here is that the abstract definitions of what it means to have synesthesia, I think people have commented to me since they have heard me talk about it that, oh, that's the way that you think. But I would argue that I think that's just a different way of describing what many of us think and feel. And when I was younger and having to learn music theory or try to learn music theory, I always thought that it was such a convoluted way, an inefficient way for me of being able to understand what I was participating in. It seemed more like, like physics. So as opposed to saying that combination of notes reminds me of my mom and a rainy day. It was, no, it's, it's, a, it's a suspended second and it's in a Lydian mode. And you also like the ninth because it's the octave above the second. And perhaps that suspension implies on a technical level, I'm sure you could analyze it in a lot of ways. If you suspend a note, perhaps subconsciously there's an, an, a lack of need to commit to, a, to an interval. Who knows? But on a practical level, for me, it's just what it reminds me of. And so in order to move quickly, which is how I feel the best way to create exists. Like, what's the quickest way that you can articulate yourself musically? What's the most efficient way to do it? Is it... Well, it's ergonomics, for one. It's lack of option paralysis, as another. And for me, not having to analyze where things are rooted, theoretically, allows me to say, I want to feel this, those notes make me feel that. There we go. That being said, I think, yes, it's a different language. And I think it's a learnable language for people who find it much quicker for themselves to say, how do I discern what it is that I want to do with this musical passage? Well, I know that it maybe modally makes sense for me to do this. Maybe theoretically, the key all those things. There's people that I know that that is a much more efficient way for them to think. It's not for me, but my point is, there are two ways of saying the same thing. And I think that 
when I started working on this current project, I've got a, I've got a number of projects that I'm working on right now, and one of them is a, a symphony called The Moth. When I, start, when I started working with symphonic instruments and working with orchestras in Prague or Norway or Bulgaria, each one of those three scenarios that I've had the opportunity to work with an orchestra, I've had to learn that if I want to communicate with people who don't speak fluently the language that I speak creatively, it makes more sense for me to learn that language. So I have, over the past few years, been learning what is the range that the violas exist in, how to play keyboards. On, even on my, my keyboards here, I've got to have the keys actually labeled. It's like I'm such a slow learner. I feel that I learned how to run by making the records that I've made over these 30 some odd years without learning how to walk first. So going back and saying, oh, that's really cool. That's how that interval plays together. That's how that scale works. That's how that mode works. What I recognize is it's not cut and dried. It's, it's a spectrum. I'm capable, although I'm not um, inclined to view emotional content of music theoretically, I'm capable of learning how that functions. And in the same way, I feel that people are capable of learning another way of looking at musical languages. And so, in closing with the topic of synesthesia, I think it's just... You can describe these things any way that feels convenient. You can put an artist or a musician into a box into a genre box but I think that's just done because it's it's convenient to compartmentalize people music genre but if you're getting into it if you're getting into making music if you're getting into making art my advice to you is forget about it forget about the genre forget about whether or not you should perceive music as colors or shapes or modes and numbers. It doesn't matter. The intent is the important thing. Identify your intent. Mine, now, I'm able to understand that music documents my life. It's as simple as that. There's no grand design to it. There's no goal to it. There's no end game. There's no message. It's just my life changes as all of our lives change. And music, I'm so grateful for because at a young age, I recognized that it was a way for me to express something that as a person, I felt incapable of expressing. So that was my intent. So over the next year, two years, I intend to keep this podcast going and use it as an opportunity to document the progress that these new works that I'm involved with will take shape with 
Does that make sense? That doesn't make sense. But my hope is that by documenting the things that I'm uncovering about myself and my own process during this, because it is all completely, unequivocally a work in progress, perhaps that can be of some use to you as well. Making music, making art, making films, expressing ourselves is innately human and I think very important, specifically in a period of time where things are so uncertain, whether or not it's AI or political landscape or environmental landscape. There's so much uncertainty about this and so much of what we have as entertainment now is frightening or at least seems to profit on some level from everybody being upset all the time and divided. I think that underlines how important it is to learn the tools to express ourselves creatively. I think it helps. I think it helps other people. It helped me when I was a kid. It helped me be able to say, I'm incapable of saying what this song says so perfectly. Thank you. And that's the intent. So I'm going to keep this first one a little shorter. And I will be back next month. And I look forward to sharing the insights as to where things have progressed. I've got a couple more tours. I've got uh, Arctangent Festival in a couple of weeks. Australian tour. But the whole time I'm writing current projects, The Moth, Dream Peace, and a project that I think I'm going to call Power Nerd. I'll keep you posted on all of them as they go. Thank you for the support, always. Thanks to Inside Out for supporting my work. Thanks to all the companies that support as well. I look forward to seeing you next month. Please take care of yourself. This is Devin out. The tools that make this podcast possible provided by Roswell Microphones and X-Vive.